All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that our journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson. My good friend Greg Fairn and I are also on this journey of becoming. We are both dedicated to inviting you into our journeys and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey that we all find ourselves on. We want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of our biggest allies. We have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And we believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. This is so good. <laughs> the Zoom lady's going. She said we're going, so. Okay, cool. Do you, yeah. do I need to turn off my AC? Cuz if I, I can't do then hear it. Okay, I can't great. Cuz um it's real hot. So. <laughs> yes. Keep, uh, in California cool. today. Yeah, Man. so anyway, I reconnected with my biological family uh recently and what's been really crazy, I think of this whole experience which is why I was like I cannot I cannot handle and process right now this whole situation. Don't know what to make of it is my stepfather who's been raising me since I was 11 or 9, 9 really because that's when he started dating my mom. He over the last two years he was diagnosed uh with uh terminal 4 cancer of his brain. And so mm -hmm. in the last two years he's he's been slowly dying basically. And as that's been happening, I've been slowly meeting my biological father's side of the family. Um and at one point I told, you know, my partner Jason prop I was like, yeah, God's really funny that way, isn't it? Like it's just really interesting how that's happening. <laughs> and I was like, it's not funny, God, stop, you know. <laughs> no. And then I was just no. like Now I've recently like started seeing it as like it's actually kind of beautiful though. If you're like you sit with that for a second, I'm like that's actually pretty beautiful. Like it's almost like an exiting and an entering or a, like shifting mm -hmm. of, like of masculine energy in my life. I don't know. I don't really know oh. yet what to do with it. It's just very intense and a lot <laughs> right now. So I'm just like, all right, I'm gonna process this with the second book. I'll I'll wait. I'll wait till I have time to write a lot. Just to. Uh, sit with complexity and strong emotion and feel it and not push it away and allow yourself to uh, just uh, allow allow you, you can't rush your healing and just mm -hmm. allowing that process to unfold so courageously in the face of what I think most people spend a lifetime avoiding. Uh, I think most people we we repress, avoid, we just view it as negative emotion uh and i think then we remain stuck in our small paradigms and stuck in our uh 
uh, old storylines and narratives. Yeah. And I think, uh, anyway, I'm about to, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother (laughs) thing. But again, your willingness to do that. So yeah, I have no doubt that uh, to me, I want to unpack that whole little, not little, that, that whole just term you said of uh, uh, just this, this dynamic of the masculine energy shifting. I'm like, like, that's a whole book in and of itself that I want to hear your perspective (laughs) on in your journey. But that's Maybe I should write the Chingon book. Complimentary (laughs) Chingon book. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Josh, do you want to do you want to start us off officially or how do you want to roll, man? Yeah. I mean I think we're rolling. I think uh, Alma started us off like pretty good, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I can. I can. That. I tend to do that. <laughs> Just go real deep, too fast. And then people are like, no, oh, no, that's yeah. how we do. That's how we love. That is, we love that that. is. As you that talk about, definition. not good with small talk. No small talk. None okay, of that good, bullshit. Good. I don't we don't do have time for that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. That is the definition of rethinking faith. <laughs> it's to okay, do that. I love this. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty sweet. But I guess I'll so ready. I'm gonna I will uh, attempt to say your name again and uh, yeah. So here's me. <laughs> so <laughs> listeners hanging out with us today is Alma uh, Saragossa Petty. Wow, that was really How'd good. I do? You said it in Spanish. Nice. Hey, all right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for here. I'll I I'll like I know very few. Uh, Spanish words. So my best friend Alex is from El Salvador, and I took um, Spanish all through middle school, high school, and in college. And I still somehow only learned uh, bad stuff, mm. and enough to like, if I'm reading or something, I can kind of like you know get around. But uh, so three ways since we know you know I already asked you how you wanted to be addressed, and you said Alma is fine, so we'll refer to you as Alma. I'll give you three choices for how you want to call Greg and I. Okay. So oh, one, no. one. Oh no, I don't know what this is going to be. What? I apologize Fine. in advance. I apologize. I don't know. I don't what? know what he's going to say. Yeah, Greg, I didn't pass this by Greg. So one, uh, Los Gringos, I think is fair. Uh, two, oh, uh, Los Borrachos could be a good one. Uh, as you see. Well, we know what you practiced well, in Spanish. <laughs> or three, then this is probably the kicker. Maybe this is going too far, but uh, Los Pendejos <laughs> is also acceptable, depending on how you feel about Jesus. us. Jesus. <laughs> Again, I, think... I apologize before he started speaking. I apologize after the three <laughs> options. <laughs> this will make yeah, it a lot I... easier. Now well, I don't feel bad about saying bad words. So thanks. Oh, no, you can't. Yeah, this is a free me. space. Welcome and this is you, we are free, <laughs> free space to be authentically ourselves. And, and especially as we get into your book, uh, it's just to me, what was so impactful about it? You just were raw and gritty and authentic. And uh, anyway, it just, it reflects real life. I mean, it just reflects, it's, it's no bullshit. It's not presenting. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was so fearless and courageous out of the gate. So we're I- I- excited. Uh to have you here, Alma. I mean, just, just really, I mean, Josh and I have been, we, we got your book a, a, a number of weeks ago and we've just been texting back and forth about it, screenshotting certain pages and with our underlinings, you know, and marginalia notes on the side. And so we're, we're, we're thrilled to have you here. Uh, and I do think when rethinking faith, we're, we're passionate about, we love theological concepts and philosophical concepts. We love getting brilliant scholars on that can blow our minds with, their capacity for research and synthesis but one of the things we always try to do is bring it into the story uh Mm -hmm. what's the story 
that the person embodied that made them so passionate about this subject. And, and so it really is, it puts feet on the ground and roots in the earth. Uh, and one thing about your book out of the gate, as we were talking about before we started recording is that uh, you do that by on page one out of the gate. You are a scholar, you're an academic, uh, you have your PhD, but, uh, and along with that, you, you're not an, this ivory tower academic that's disconnected from reality that your, your story flows uh, your your brilliance flows from your story. So at, maybe out of the gate, we'll just ask the question with the title of the book. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a bold title. It's an awesome title. Could you just, and, and especially when you unpack it at the beginning of the book, just tell us about the name of your book uh, and, and why you chose that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thanks for uh, saying that you read my book. I think one of the biggest fears when anyone writes a book is like, will anyone read this? Will anyone actually care about what I've got to say? Um, and so it's just amazing music to my ears to hear that, yes, people are reading it and, you know, they have thoughts. <laughs> so um, I'm excited that that's, that's the case and that you brought me on to talk even more about it more deeply. But so the title of the book, I was really just looking for something that would resonate with me 20 years ago. I think that as a, you know, as I went through my own graduate courses and, you know, higher in the, in the academic ivory tower of schooling, I was also always trying to learn how to undo a lot of like, a lot of toxic kind of ways that I knew that I was kind of bringing into different spaces sometimes, both because I just, you know, I'm a granddaughter of alcoholic, uh, you know, like I had a parent that was an alcoholic. Um, There was just like so much that I needed healing through. And even though it wasn't always clear in my journey, I always picked up books to try to learn more about like, why am I like this? That's pretty much why I chose psychology, I think, as a minor or as a major in college. I was like, why am I like this? Like, what what makes me like this? Why are people like this? What's kind of, you know, what's going on in our brains that we think this is okay or not okay or whatever? So I was always intrigued by the mind and its capacity for um just routine and being stuck in a rut but also like amazing stories that I heard about people and just being able to break out of like you know even like addictions and things like that I just thought it was fascinating it was all fascinating and so during that time I remember just picking up books and I would have I would read a lot of self-help books I would talk you know I would pick up a lot of um different non-academic um materials and I would try to find out kind of more about just self like just healing and just how to grow as a person and I remember always ultimately it was always written by a white woman and and it's great like I wanted to hear obviously I wasn't hearing it from my own people so I was like it's fine I was like eating it up you know and I and I learned so much through all these different voices of people and some of my most uh, you know supportive mentors have been white women and so I totally ate it up. And then after a while, I was like, all right, I really feel like I wish I could pick one of these up and somebody would have some kind of reference to Cheetos or something, or like something that felt like it was my life or something that I would have done or that I lived through or that I like embodied. 
Um, and it never happened, you know, and I don't know if maybe I was just like in the wrong section of a lot of bookstores or what the heck, but, you know, I ended up deciding like, we need a book for us by us about healing. I think a lot of Latinas or people of color, women of color often get told or, you know, suggested into talking about race. And I was like, and, and a lot of the books that I've learned from about race, equity, diversity, inclusion have been written by people of color and, and I thank them for their work. But I also feel like we have way more to say than than things about race, okay? Like we are full people that have some fucked up minds sometimes <laughs> and that's okay. Like we can like, you know, go there and and kind of experience that and let ourselves embody that and, and heal through that. And so ultimately my goal was to like have a title that would have captivated like 25 to 35 year old me when I needed that book that was like, oh, dang, that's a gut, you know, that's a gut punch right now. I feel like this person has something to say to me about my experience. Yeah, and I love it. And oh, were you going to say something, Greg? Oh, cool. Um, and so I don't if we didn't say it, Chingona is the title of the book, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice. Um, and Chingona. So I'm. can I try my best to um, see if I can get the etymology of the word correct yes. if I learned yes. well? Absolutely. So, <laughs> uh, so it came because originally, basically, it seems like how you're describing it is is some people would argue that it was uh, a vulgar word that was used in a derogatory word as kind of a put down. Um, and it was, um, what was it? Uh, like he had the, he had the la chinga or something like that. So close, like, am I around? He had the la chingada. De la chingada, yeah. Which is kind of like part of the etymology, right? Which literally translated as like, like woman or girl of the fuck. So it was like a derogatory word used to describe um, basically there was like colonizers they would rape women then there was a person born and they would be given this title so it was yes. like kind of vulgar right mm -hmm. yes and so then like how has it then shifted and become not that yeah it's been totally reclaimed by a lot of uh latina populations across um different cultures so not just you know my my background is Mexican so I'm Mexican um heritage uh first born or first generation born in the U.S. and I was raised in Acapulco in Mexico for a few years my early kind of years for uh up until I was about eight years old and so what I remember is Mexico as my birthplace but it wasn't I was born here and I was raised in Mexico um but all that's to say that for some populations of Latinas, chingona is like still very vulgar and, uh, you know, still very uncomfortable to say out loud and to each other as a way to um, really uplift one another, which is what other Latinas have done with the term. They've reclaimed it and kind of said, yes, we are chingonas. You know, we we are all the things we can we can get. Um, you know, all the things done, we can, you know, sort of like support one another. We can also be, uh, you know, a chingona and a llorona, like you could cry, we could be a chingona. It doesn't, it doesn't exclude one or the other. And so there, there's a lot of, as a Latina, there's a lot of um, avenues and kind of uh, places that you can find this reclaiming of the word by popular media, by different spaces. But if you're like not at all in that space, 
and you probably never heard the word let or you probably still feel like wow that's such a bad word why are you saying that about yourself and others you know um it's it's still a word that may not be very comfortable in certain uh, echelons of society and in the Latino community and beyond. That's, yeah, I, I love it in your book, as, as you explained that reclaiming and, and, and redefining uh, of that and inherently um, refusing uh, to allow your narrative to be formed uh by someone else who initially intended oppression and in in redefining it and and that's one thing you you talked about counter story uh you talked about uh beginning to recognize these narratives these paradigms that you had been immersed in these this kind of this fish tank with messages that you metabolize and absorb because that just is where you grew up and then the 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 centuries prior to that that were defining that and then you went it continues your your process of awakening and authentic journeying but talk, talk about some of that story from your your younger years and moving into academia and especially there's that story if you wouldn't mind sharing it of uh when you were uh, interviewing uh, for that professorship, um, and kind of what you bumped up against in that, and then subsequently at the coffee shop, uh, in in that process. But I, I just thought that was such a raw space of inner wrestling where you discovered so much about yourself. And of, of, of course, I'm not going to spo no, no spoilers. But anyway, would you mind just kind of unpacking your process? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, of, of of your of this previous narratives that you had metabolized just because of where you had you know experienced life and then your discovery of those and then your choice to choose new narratives yeah i think that moment uh that i talk about in the book is definitely number one it was kind of like the beginning of my book it was the the thing that made me want to write this book because i realized so much after from that moment on you know, I realized how long I had been holding uh, these narratives about myself, about what I was able to do or not do, you know, just just all these so, sort of self-imposed scripts that I thought I was, you know, living out and that there was no other way around. Like this was just who I was going to be. And oh, well, you can't handle it, then, you know, get out of here. <laughs> like you suck at this then, you know, and having no grace for myself. And so one of the this you know the story that you're you're talking about is is really like this moment of total like breakdown that i have about who i am what i looked like and then also what i felt i represented in academia and in the space that i had been inhabiting for the last 6 years at that point of my life and um you know i had been called names in 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 grad school grad school had become a place where i thought i was going to go and sort of you know be un under be like with like-minded people where we were going to understand like yeah there was a little fucked up right like we kind of all see that and then it wasn't <laughs> it was not that place it was actually places where it was being reproduced and that was expected to also reproduce that system via like economic ways of seeing the world or whatever it was you know and and I remember just being called, I mean, you know, being called names in grad school, it's more like, oh, you're such a socialist. It's not like, oh, you're such a pendeja, you know, like you, <laughs> it's more like that, <laughs> those kinds of names. And uh, I remember thinking like, wow, I don't even know what a socialist is. Let me go look that up. Like, you know, and like totally not understanding 
how I was being perceived and how my ideas were really grading up against like the norm in that in the institutions that I had been in. And so that experience, uh, you know, really kind of um, was the catalyst of me realizing like, wait, you know, do I even want to be here? Like knowing what I know now and kind of made me reevaluate everything. And and one of the things that I, you know, that I kind of liken that experience to is so La Malintzin, which is the Nahua woman who was the mother of the mestizos, the Mexica that I talk about in my book, who became known as, you know, officially like uh, the first chingona, if you will, uh, but in a very negative connotation, right? Um, she was she was doing stuff to survive. And, but if you go to Mexico now um, and you, 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 some people will call each other Malinches when they're traitors and when they're, going behind your back and it's not a good thing to be called a malinche you know it's like it's very there's a lot of political tension in that term and this all kind of summons back to this woman who was trying to do the best she could under Hernan Cortez's rule and you know she was gifted by one of the tribes but you know the Aztecs to him to him and among other women probably and she was very sought out because she knew the local languages of the indigenous people and she became a translator. And so that's why there's the, the concept of La Malinche in Mexico of being called a Malinche is the worst thing you can get called because you're like being called a traitor of the like, you know, of your country. And so um, but little but very rarely do we focus on like what it would have must have been like for her to like toil physically across borders and like new lands and new people that she had never encountered and to like figure out how to live her life despite that new world of toxicity that she was like hurled into you know we don't ever kind of step back and think about that and so in a sense I think that that's kind of what I was doing with my story or I hope that kind of came through a little bit <laughs> which was like to think of myself as like I was I felt so uh not embodied in that space. I felt so disassociated. I felt so cut off from what was, you know, what I was supposed to look like, feel like in that space. And, um, you know, it kind of goes back to one of the, my first chapters, you know, for brown women in the world, for brown women, the world has tried to conquer. It just feels very uncomfortable sometimes to be in certain spaces because they weren't meant for us. They, you know, we weren't supposed to ever occupy those spaces. And so what does that look like feel like how can I still show up authentically in those spaces um and not be caught up in feeling like well I just have to wear like this boring shirt and a plaid pants so I could fit in when no I want to wear my eyeliner I want to have my tats out and I want to wear my big hoops you know shout out AOC for doing that but you know it was just like I just needed that and and in that space it, it was very hard to 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 see that and it was such a it was it was definitely one of those experiences that have completely shaped who I am and how I see myself and how I started to better understand, you know, my own heritage in a positive light rather than being like a hindrance to my being able to move forward in life. Yeah, I I loved that story and it it um resonated with me deeply too. Um I mean in a much different way but um it, it just reminded me of this idea that greg actually introduced me to and then we've talked about a bunch which is this idea of like 
our internal and external worlds being like disaligned, like kind of out of whack. And like, what does it look like to actually bring those two together and then, you know, uh, live authentically um, in that way? And so like, I used to be a pastor before I was a brewer, um, which is very different (laughs) kind of line of work. But um, for me, and again, not in the same way. So like, please don't hear it that way. But I felt what resonated with me in that story is I felt out of place as a pastor. Like I felt like I couldn't be myself. Um, I mean, I have tattoos, so that's, you know, one similarity, but I'm not, you know, Hispanic woman, (laughs) like, you know, so uh, I'm actually like the dominant culture. Like I am what, you know, people, you know, whatever, anywho. Um, it, but it, it still was like this, the internal, my externals were, were out of whack. They're out of line. I felt like I couldn't be authentic to who I was. I felt like I couldn't be myself in those spaces truly. Like it would just jack everything up. Um, so like reading, I don't know, Rob Bell had shared with me one time that like, there's an invitation to go deep enough into one's own story that other people might find themselves too. And so like that, thank you for that because I I felt, I found myself there (laughs) in a much different way. Um, but I appreciate that, um, in that story. Yeah. And also you shared, and I'm going to completely butcher it again. So forgive me, but you used the word that as soon as I saw it, I, that's one of the things I screenshotted and sent to Greg. Um, cause we talk about like the three centers of knowing, uh, mind, heart, and body, and how often in the West, all we focus is on our mind. And we're told mm-hmm. that that's the only thing. Um, but you use the word uh, conocimiento. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I get it? Yeah, you got it. Awesome. And I was so excited. <laughs> You're excelling I was at like... Spanish today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but when I read it, it was, it was awesome because you, you, you like kind of, it was in the beginning of a paragraph. Um, and, you know, you said finding a conocimiento, a wisdom beyond academic knowledge, one that centers mind, body, spirit, awareness, uh, turned out to be a big uh, rebel day mm-hmm. and a wild move yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> so that that idea, those three centers of knowing was a mm. massive shift for me in my life. Can you like just talk about and unpack what that has meant? for you and like what like when you use that term what do you what do you mean by that yeah yeah i mean i often i also use a lot mind body spirit as another way of talking about conocimiento um conocimiento translated literally means consciousness or to 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 conceive but in a conscious kind of level um sorry and so Mind, body, spirit is also a way that I think about conocimiento. It's it, it it really means more than just knowing myself in this very um, literal, academic kind of uh, heady way that I think we're very in Western cultures we can be very good at and and kind of ignore the other aspects of ourselves and and I think that you know going back to the earlier question. The reason why that moment that basically, um, you know, really rocked me in that hotel room, uh, wh- why it was so important is because I, I finally entered this 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 place in my life where I realized like I had been ignoring those other aspects of me. I had made them be less sort of 
you know, less important than the other parts of me, which is, was such a, really why I had started to feel so out of whack internally, right? And so um, I think, you know, just being um, manifesting physically through through all of these like anxiety attacks and, you know, depression and ways where I just didn't feel fully alive and and well inside myself, you know, no matter how many academic accolades I had like uh, been able to get at through, through that point in my life. And so, you know, to me, this um, conocimiento really means kind of coming back. How do we come back to like mind, body, mind, body, spirit healing with ourselves and each other? Because I don't, the other thing about conocimiento too, for me is that it's not just personal, it's not just individual. It's also, you know, a way that we can, you know, know each other deeply because the more we know ourselves, we can know each other, each other people more, right? Um, and so I think the focus of the book and why I also say like, hey, we, you need to heal yourself before you even go out there trying to make change in the world is because what world are we recreating if we're not growing as folks, right? And so and that was something that really came out of, for me, the, the pandemic and just, you know, all of the racial uprising that became very front and center during that time because I saw folks being burnt out and feeling like I can't go through this again. I don't, I needed to stop. And I'm like, no, no, no. See, that's the thing is never going to stop. Like we have to keep fighting it. And the only way we can like, like, you know, reboot, if you will, so that we can keep fighting it is to not ignore the fact that this is awful. And like we sit in that uncomfortable emotion and, and realize that that's part of our humanity and, you know, and, and also there's amazing parts of our humanity. There's, you know, things to celebrate about us and, and, and taking the time to do, do it all and not just focusing on those aspects that, that are really starting to, you know, that are really hard to sustain on their own without having, um, having to hold both grief and joy, for instance, you know, and, and, and what that means as a, as a person that, that wants to see a world that's healed uh, in this lifetime and not once we're dead, be a par mm -hmm. paradise. Yeah, that, that, and that's something you wrote about too, that uh, talk about a, a, you know, a harmful uh, theological paradigm. I mean, that's why, uh, I mean, that's why Marx said so much of religion is the opiate of the masses. Uh, or why Nietzsche said you should put on gloves before you touch the Bible because it's so toxic. And of course, they were reacting to uh, a theology that was, uh, again, empire-based oppression to keep people living small, restricted lives and saying, hey, but don't worry, heaven's going to be great. Um, and and then we end up living small. And and so it's interesting, as a, as, as a white man reading your book, uh, it was uh and and i remember and even in the coffee shop you talked about as you were looking at the question about tell about a hard time that you went through and how you responded to it and then a dude pulls up his computer next to you and you're already having a hard time and you see his fair skin and uh just recognizing that and and so as you know as not a, i'm not a, a a person of color I am a part of the oppression-based culture. This is what the messages that I've metabolized and recognizing in this process. So it was, it was, I, I was experiencing your books on like a 
like a prism level of so many different facets piercing me and engaging me and flowing through me at the same time. One as recognizing that I uh, am a part of the dominant culture that has been, and I have metabolized, you know, with, within our culture, there's just no doubt. We, 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 it is a, it, the cultural lens that we exist in is white supremacy. And that is in the groundwater and, uh, and, and recognizing what is, what is my work of anti-oppression, anti-racism and reading your book and hearing. And so there's those levels that are piercing me of hearing your story and hearing the oppression and hearing the harm done to you uh, through those lenses. And then simultaneously, I'm hearing you talk about having metabolized these messages about your identity that keep you so uh, small and constricted and this work of blossoming out of those uh, and, and in some senses reclaiming this new identity and paradigm, which I think in some level is is all of the human condition, which I think is the spiritual journey of everyone. Uh, but then, then of course, there's the the difference, as Josh was talking about earlier, of your experience and, and others, especially from someone from the dominant culture. But it was on an experiential level, Alma, reading, <laughs> reading your book was so powerfully, beautifully disruptive and inspiring at the same time. Like it really, at some points I wanted to, I, I just felt like shit about myself, which is, is not the helpful m way moving, but it was just recognizing this, this culture from which I'm a, a part of. And then, but then it moves into progress, intentional, uh, anti-oppression, anti-racism, but then also then hearing you taking these wounds, you taking these, this harm done to you. And instead of allowing it to keep you small, that you actually reframed it in a way that propelled you towards love and beauty. Um, and as you know, one of the things I'm, my day job is I'm the executive director of a nonprofit called Second Breath. And we're all about creating kind of like creating greenhouses for people to discover their true selves and their deep gladness and have vibrant inward spiritual journeys so that they can live it out into the world. And one of the things we say is there's no great outer work without great inner work. You know, and and that just it reminds me of what you just said, that piece of we are so action oriented uh, and so prone to just move out. But then what are we creating? W what are we moving towards to creating if we've not done this inner work of actually saying, who am I? Where am I? And then where is this flowing from? So if you could define or with where you are currently in your journey, and I'm guessing if we interviewed you again in five or 10 or 15, 25 years, it's going to be an evolving answer. But if you could distill down from where you are in, in this moment in your journey, uh, what do you feel like is your deep gladness that you want to share with the world? What resonates with you as this is what makes feels like liquid life and makes my heart skip a beat within, with hope? What does that look like for you? And what is that for you? And then what does that look like for you living that into the world right now? Yeah. Wow. That's such a great question. And also I love what you're doing with the second breath center. Um, it sounds like you're basically creating a container for people to have their like mental breakdowns. Like I did. <laughs> so, so right. we're, we're a safe space for total explosion, <laughs> falling apart and then rediscovering yeah, that and underneath then all that shit show you is, an amazing is, human being. <laughs> is, is both the divine and you underneath the cacophony of shit. Yeah, that's that's our work. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think where I am now is I was actually just texting a friend about this the other day. Um, I think for a very long time, I was also in a very, you know, and, and uh, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> so many thoughts popping up, but I was once in a place where I couldn't really pour uh, you know, into other people's lives because I felt like I just needed people to to give me the space I need and give me the time that I needed to just heal, go through this like, you know, metamorphosis of just, you know, becoming someone different. And that's really how it felt. And, you know, kind of like when a, when a snake shits, it's like outer layer, like that's kind of what I felt was happening to me. I was growing this like snake skin couldn't hold me anymore. So I had to like shed it so that I could like create my new one, you know, along. And, and part of that meant uh, having like really, really like great boundaries uh, with like what I allowed myself to ingest, you know, like not just like food, but like mentally, spiritually, uh, visually. And I was just like, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting over cold. And I was just like, I just want, I just want to pretend like this toxic empire of you know, capitalistic masculinity doesn't exist. And I'm only going to allow myself to ingest all of the things that bring me joy, that bring me gladness, that, you know, that bring me sort of um, this other kind of space. And a lot of that for me was being in nature. So rediscovering sort of like the sweet joys of just um, seeing patterns in nature and spending time in nature. It also meant um, being able to you know, during the time that I was being very good with my boundaries, as far as like, don't, you know, I, I don't want anything but good stuff that, you know, it was, it was also about having relationships with folks that, um, that weren't in a place where they weren't able to hold their own boundaries, you know, because what I felt was, it some it's not even just white folks around me or people that I work with that are, you know, might be um, in this, you know, as co-conspirators, you know, also doing work around um, dismantling sort of, you know, sort of some of this, these toxic ideologies. Sometimes it's brown people. It's, it'd be your own people sometimes <laughs> that just get exhausting and, you know, aren't, haven't learned the tools to take care of themselves. And a different time and place me would have felt very, um, very guilty about not showing up for folks during this time when, you know, when they needed me. But this time and place me was like, nope, I don't care. I am, I'm, I, I'm not having it. I just need complete sort of isolation from everything to be able to kind of dive deeper and figure out exactly what it is that, you know, it's going on with me. And I think that a pro the product of that became actually being able to coexist in times of grief and joy and, and, and letting joy seep in sometimes when there was a lot of grief. Like I remember distinctly before not being, being like, no, nah, man, it's a sad time. Why are you allowing yourself to be, to feel happy? Why are you allowing yourself to, to be all right with bubble? You know, I, 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 I thought that it was, you not caring anymore about an issue or that that circumstance instead of seeing as like no i am fully joyous as a as as an entity and i am fully can experience grief 
and I can allow both of those things to coexist within me. And joy doesn't have time for me to like sit around and wait until I'm like, you know, uh, <laughs> blocking it off because there's grief happening right now. So don't come in, Joy. There's no time for you. I, I can't even let it, even if I want to now. Like I'm now, I'm just like, wow. I really just had a great time right now, like laughing, you know, and and kind of getting along with someone when I know there's like really deep, hurtful things that I'm like dealing with at the same time. For instance, you know, and past me could have never done that. I feel like I would have just been like. I wouldn't know what to do with that. And, and I think that's what's bringing me a lot of gladness, you know, in these moments, kind of that, that um, happy, tearful joy is that I'm able to just hold all of the different complicated emotions and, and feel very rooted and very stable um, in my soul, you know? You know, I, I, I love... I love, love, love what you just said, your whole answer. Uh, and I think one of the things I think I love about it so much is, you know, I think, I think 99 out of 100 people, and I didn't think about this until you just gave your answer, but 99 out of 100 people would have just talked about probably more what they're doing. You know, this is my, my deep gladness. This, is, this makes me then enter the world this way to make a change in this way with a particular naming of an activism, which again, I think, I'm all about social activism. I'm passionate about it. But what you described was something I think that is is far trans, transcends that, that you describe your unique way of being in the world, that you, you, you described you simply being truly you. And in, in the ways that the way you described it of your capacity to hold both joy and grief to not deny all of the pain and the suffering and the oppression and the shit show around you and simultaneously be able to hold the joy and the laughter and the connection and the camaraderie and that all of those coexist and that you have the capacity to hold them all uh, at once that enables you to be fully then engaged with whoever and wherever you are that then impacts everything you do, including your activism, including you with your kids, including your, your husband's sisters, your the stranger that you pass on the sidewalk or the person, you know, at the grocery store that I love that your answer was you described in your evolution, your unique way of being at this time and place. And I just think that's fucking genius and powerful. And I think, wow. Thanks. Uh, no, I do. I do. I do. I think, I think that that should be, when we think about, when I we think about, purpose, when, so. you, well, <laughs> when we think about calling, when we, we, this term calling, or we think about, vocation or what we're supposed to do we get so task oriented and it's i think what you just embodied what i really think that the task is secondary or tertiary really the work is how do we become our true selves how do we lean into our unique way of being in the world because then that ripples into everything and that's what you described uh and you talk about it in your book but too i just think you just embodied that so, uh, sorry i just got josh he knows I get excited about these when, when there's some insights, like this. but that was just, I just, I, I think that's something that is an invitation to everybody of what it looks like for us to actually stop trying to not saying that we shouldn't be focused on the outward doing the outward doing is really important. But as you said, the outward doing is not going to do much without the inward. And, and, and until we actually create space for us to discover our unique way of being in the world, I, I don't, yeah. I think then we're going to give them a, a partial self. Yeah. For sure. I think too, you know, when we focus on our inner being and how we are experiencing life itself, 
even if you're like only impacting like five people around you in your lifetime, it is massively going to impact the world mm-hmm. um, versus if you're, you know, not really thinking about about the way that you're being in the world and maybe in front of 2000 people. But like, how is that, you know, how might that change anything if you're if, if you're not necessarily talking about things that are going to then really transform folks, you know, or, or have folks think differently about, about life. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> I echo Greg. I like when Greg gets excited. It I love it. <laughs> but also too, like in like, cause I, I love that idea of being able to hold uh, like something seemingly, you know, opposite, like, like joy and, and anger, frustration, you know, shit, whatever, um, together. Like, I think that's just a sign of like, like wisdom and like, like a deep spirituality, like this idea that everything's okay, even when it's not kind of thing. Um, so I was echoing, uh, Greg on that, but also something that, that goes with that nicely. I think that you talk about in the book as well is just this idea that, um, our scars are kind of like proof that we're healing. Um, and it just, it, it brought to mind uh, for me, just this like revelation I had one day. And I think I was reading like a Richard Rohr book sounds about like it's up his alley, but he pointed out that like, dude, even after the resurrection, Jesus still had his scars. And like hearing that was like fucking huge for me. Like that, did something to me like take that away and just go meditate on that (laughs) for a little bit and see that's awesome and so like just um as you you know throughout your book I mean you talk so much about like your childhood and and moving all around and like the different like everything was just I don't know um there's so much there but then to, to get to this idea of like the our scars as a way of like proof of healing um, like if there's a listener, uh, that's like, man, I, my, I have a lot of shit <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, you know, I don't know which way is up. I'm, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And now you're saying like, oh man, my scars are proof of healing. Like, what, what would you say to, what would you say to them to encourage them? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, scars can really help us not feel alienated you know like because we realize that we all have scars right like I mean I don't think I've I've met anyone that has not had some kind of spiritual emotional psychological actually physical scar (laughs) there's like we're you know we're and I think that one of the beautiful things about um about scars is that it can be a spiritual bridge to to others because when we've experienced something that has scarred us we're able to empathize and deepen our understanding for others struggles others you know vulnerability in a way that that many can't even if they wanted to i mean you know i, I really believe that there's that part of why i'm very empathetic is because i have suffered a lot that's why i'm empathetic you know and if i hadn't suffered I would probably be an a-hole, <laughs> like you know, I'd, or I probably have would have learned it another way. I mean, I mean, I would, I would hope, <laughs> but I really feel that scars are just 
wounded woundedness and healing are just part of who we are it is it is part of the whole package you can't have or want only healing and not have the woundedness i don't know if that's very encouraging to people with with scars out there but um that's kind of what i would say scars can teach us how to live actually enjoy you know because now we know what suffering is like and how do we think about what peace is if we don't have scars to teach us you know suffering for instance well and as you described you know your 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 scars because of your suffering you became empathetic and i do think in my own life my my deepest wounds uh became kind of transformed like for example like i i grew up mainly in asia uh and uh came back to the states and it's called a third culture kid where i was american but i'd never lived in america uh and you know or very little in america when i came back as a teenager and uh i didn't understand american culture didn't understand the place i felt like a complete outsider and uh experience so then i just did what uh, brilliant teenagers do numb it out with a lot of drugs and alcohol uh and by the time i was 17 my story was my internal story was i'm this piece of shit that is inherently unacceptable and so by the time i'm 17 i'm wanting to kill myself and i'm you know that that's i'm i'm, I'm plotting ways to end my life and uh and it was through a spiritual awakening on a personal level that kind of opened me to uh it, it created a path for counter story it created a path for um a, a, a new lens to interpret who i am and where i came from and what it means to to be myself and now all these years later that's when i was 17 now i'm 50. uh but what i found is i i so felt all all those young years i when i lived in asia i felt completely out of place when i lived back in the states i felt completely out of place and now if if i see someone that feels on the outside if someone expresses feeling like an oddball or feeling like they're rejected or feeling like they're they're not a part my heart i, I can be in the grumpiest pistol i can have covid i'm in bed hacking out a lung and if i hear that my heart melts and all i want to do is embrace them with all that's in me that this 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 wound my my wound my scar became a kind of a superpower of of compassion um in that way and so but but it is that process of what does it mean that our scars uh, and and also for me too i feel safest with people that have a lot of scar tissue I, like if people if like and if people act like they don't have a lot of scar tissue i think creep me out the, the, if someone presents with no scar tissue i'm freaked the fuck out. i won't i can't i don't feel safe but when when i feel like people have walked through fire you know you you know that there's that that authentic authenticity and realness and that's uh with your book uh alma i mean i i don't typically of course when you're writing you probably have your audience in mind you know who are you writing to and you said it was your your self you know 20 years ago you know that and what you would say to yourself and i'm obviously not that audience that you're writing to in your head but uh when when you are writing your story so authentically from your heart i think i feel like it transcends to impact humanity and in the human condition and of course there's there's ways that i can never truly understand and relate to your story i can try but there's no ways that i truly can't understand it uh in other ways where what you were describing is the 
the soul of the human journey of the hero's story of, of, of what it means to live uh, authentically from the inside out, from the false self to the true self, from this constricted fear-based oppressed existence to something expansive and beautiful that's lived to healing the world. And that to me, again, is, is what your book did. It was, it was disruptive and beautiful and inspiring and authentic. Um, and so thank you. And so, so for our listener, it is it is worth it is so worth picking up and uh no matter where you are i feel like because it is so authentically written from the inside out it will engage the story and, and invite us to what it means to live more fully um so thank you thank you alma uh thank it, you. it it was a bold ass book and uh <laughs> courageous it's real loud. and fearless its colors are loud too it's colors it's it's color it's colors it is technicolor this is not a monochrome it, the, the color the cover is not monochrome the writing is not monochrome or grayscale it is passionate and technicolor and beautiful and disruptive and brilliant so thank you thank you so much for being here with us and for for sharing your story with us yeah and part part of me is like sad that like I can't be a chingona, like just for obvious reasons. Like it's not gonna work for me. But like, <laughs> of, first of all, Ch no, it's a state of mind. You could totally that's be a true. Fuck yeah! All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, thank you, Alma, so much uh, again for hanging out and and for your book. I know. Uh, when is the official launch? So the official launch is November first. Is when it is going to be out in all the bookstores okay. um and yeah and november 5th is when i'm going to i'm going to have a book launch party here in la if people are local to la come through it's free uh, you could also pick up a book not free but you know you can pick up a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, gotta support the author gotta, gotta, support, gotta the support the author, the author. Yeah, otherwise you can't write more yeah yeah and that's that's like one thing that's been hard for me uh just in general is like um like when i do or, or like give something to the world like trying to be comfortable accepting like somebody's like financial contribution like mm. as like a thank you like it makes me feel weird yeah um totally but it's important yeah. <laughs> it's important i so. used to have that problem <laughs> yeah no yeah. you're like yeah not anymore not anymore, not anymore. anymore. <laughs> uh good deal well alma where um if if people want to like you know continue to follow you and your work where where might you know to use steel props language which i'm sure you hear all the time what the pluggables do the pluggables <laughs> the pluggables are the doc zp so the doc zp um i try to live out my life mostly in real life so i don't post a lot but i do do summary sometimes when i come back in and share or you know share some of the more important things that i want others to know about so uh but yeah i'm i'm always reading comments i'm always reading messages uh it's you know and so even if i'm not posting i you know you can hit me up there i most likely will respond at this time yeah <laughs> at this time i don't want to start saying i'm gonna respond because <laughs> right, it's right. It's <laughs> you get like a million messages and you're like dang it <laughs> <laughs> i made a mistake i should have said that <laughs> yeah 
Sweet. Well, again, thank you so much, Alma. I'll be sure to uh, to hit you up once this episode drops. It'll be like awesome. in the relative near future. So, and before okay. your book launch. So awesome! Yay! Yeah, I'm so excited we'll, about that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. This was fun. We would love to have you uh, come hang out again sometime. I yeah. Thanks for having me. Love to it keep picking so your brain. <laughs> thanks, Alma. All right. Take care. Great to be with you. Good deal. Take care. All right, listeners. Bye. Peace and love, guys. <laughs>